Merkel Media. This was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. I saw three long bony fingers reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear. When he came over to me, dude, he slithered over to me. And this giant comes out of the cave and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. But the giant moves, he's got a spear in one hand and he's running really fast and spears Dan and holds him up like this. Somebody else, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face, they basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge and I blowed his head off. I feel something pulling at my leg. And I look over and there are two small gray entities pulling at me. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I reached my hand into this bush and I touch air. Couldn't breathe and I couldn't move because I know I'm seeing a monster. Yep. yep. To the show, everybody, you're listening to the Confessionals Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Merkel. Thanks for being here. If you have a crazy, wild experience you want to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is contact at theconfessionalspodcast.com. That's contact at theconfessionalspodcast.com. Or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the contact section, and you can reach me that way as well. Either way works for me, just get a hold of me. If you want more shows on a weekly basis, go to theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the join button, become a member. There you get access to bonus shows every Thursday, all the ones now, in the present, in the future, and in the past, all accessible to you right now on the website and the Confessionals app for members. You also get access to the Tuesday shows ad-free and overtime segments when they're available. So if that interests you, go to theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the join button and become a member today. All right, today we have the return of Darcy Weir. Darcy was on episode 341, Crop Circle Realities, and he has done a lot of different film work. He has worked with Dr. Jeff Meldrum on films about Sasquatch. He does a lot of UFO stuff, and he is back with another hitter, Secret Space UFOs Fast Walkers. I was the narrator on this film, just like I was who saw the men in black. And now we're coming at you with another feature of Tony on a Darcy Weir film, Secret Space UFOs, Fast Walkers. We're here to talk about that film today. If you are interested in checking this film out, go to Amazon, get your purchase, and also leave a five-star rating review. It'd be great for him and his endeavors of becoming the world's most renowned filmmaker. So let's get to Darcy Weir right now. today we got darcy weir on the show returning how are you sir i'm good man thanks for having me uh this is awesome i love watching your show grow it's really cool 
Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, listen. So I, I was thinking about this the other day, and I can't remember exactly how you and I got connected over the years. It's been a while, but we've worked together on uh, several different projects. And we're, we're today we're talking about Fast Walkers, which is the newest project we work together on. Um, but I remember the first project that we worked on together was, uh, I, it, it was really, do you remember when it was released? I think Who? it was what, 2019? 2020, 2020, I think it's called Who Saw the Men in Black. It's all about men in black. Yeah. And like the history of real ufo events happening and then like an active cover-up happening by sort of shadowy government figures right after and that was a fun project to work on your voice on that very dark and mysterious uh, it was awesome i so it's it, you're you're always your worst critic and and so like every time i listen to my voice on these things i'm like dang it tony you should have done better you could have done better and I, i'm just like I, I'm going to get it one of these days where I'm going to sit down and listen. And I'm gonna be like, oh, yeah, that was spot on. I like that. So <laughs> not everybody like in the comments on Amazon and stuff, people are like, yo, Tony killed it in this doc. Oh, Loved shoot. it. You know, they, seriously, most of the comments are about you. And, and it, <laughs> it, 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 it's true. It's Must true, man. So uh, my following followed me there. That's good to know. Um, so, yeah, that was the first uh, film that we worked on together. I did the narration on it. And this next one I did as well. And it's called Secret Space UFOs Fast Walkers. Fast Walkers is a term that kind of gets focused on in this documentary. And um, it was a new term for me. So we'll get into that. But uh, before we get into all of that, uh, if you guys want to hear the narration that I did for that and also see the film and all the information that's involved in it, go to Amazon uh, right now and get your copy of it and leave a five-star rating review. Like I say with everybody on the podcast front, same thing goes with the documentaries. Uh, we always leave a five-star rating review and then we hit play because that's the decent thing to do in today's world. So <laughs> at least <laughs> as, as somebody who creates content, I wish people did that for me all the time. <laughs> so, that's why I stay, I stay right. away from the uh, comment sections when it comes to reviews and stuff because I'm, I'm like paranoid. Somebody's going to say something like, that's not true. And I'm going to spend the rest of my day trying to prove them wrong and wasting my day, you know? Nah, I think this doc like they could probably leave that review and watch the film and be like, wow, that actually it's deserve it. Yeah. Like it's, absolutely. it's, it's a pretty cool film, eh? Like it, there's so many different facets to the story and, you know, we're going through a history from 1973 post Apollo missions. Those are done, you know, Apollo 17 finished in 72 and the Skylab, the very first space station, those missions are underway and these UFO incidents started happening for real in our history in space. And, and then we just go right through all of the STS, you know, space shuttle missions until present and NASA's current interest in uh, UFOs. And um, it's, a, it's a strange world we live in because in about two weeks or a, a little bit less, NASA on May the 31st is going to do a live federal advisory, advisory uh, committee uh, presentation on their unidentified anomalous phenomenon uh, independent study, uh, which their, their team of 15 NASA scientists have been uh, currently working on. And I, I think 
it's strange days because in my opinion, NASA has been part of the UFO or UAP cover up for a long time now. And, uh, you know, the documentary series that I've been working on for a while, this secret space UFO series proves that, right? Like there's just been such strange things that NASA astronauts have commented on, um, you know, in space, on the moon, uh, throughout history, since even the the late 19, like the early 1960s, late 1950s, when NASA first started getting their missions underway in space. And, and this talk that you laid your voice down on is like, you know, kind of the crown jewel of it all, because it, it really is covering that pace and that those really strange UFO cases that have happened even recently in space. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's interesting because for years, uh, people like me, uh, would theorize that governments and these organizations know about this stuff and they're not talking about it. And we're just seen as crazy, told we were crazy. And then yeah. all of a sudden it, it's become pop culture it's become relevant it's become oh the hip thing to do the thing to do is to talk about this stuff on, on a governmental yeah. level uh and it's mainstream it, it feels like uh and and i think you and i've had conversations about this before but and, and i don't remember how you feel about it so i feel free to disagree with me on anything um <laughs> but like i i feel like th there's a level of a psyop here in the sense it's like wait a second you for all these years you told us that it's not real. We're crazy. And all of a sudden you're giving credence to it. Why? What, are, what is the reason for this? Why are you trying to do that's this? That's the question. I mean, that's the question, right? I mean, I was talking with Richard Dolan the other day, who's an OG in uh, the cover-up, the study of the cover-up, basically, and how the military has been involved and, uh, you know, that there's just so much information guarded about this subject. And obviously one is led to think okay some of these ufos are probably very highly classified military um objects that we just have not released to the public yet and some of these ufos might be off world they might be from another intelligence that's non-human and um i think that would scare a, a great segment of the population and that's probably why a cover-up has been so active for so many decades now. But um, yeah, PSYOP rings true because maybe, you know, when people talk about disclosure, that like maybe this is the year that the government comes clean, that we're not alone in the universe, or, uh, you know, explains that UAP are actually part of some clandestine military operations and are misidentified or something like that if that is the reality and the government agencies like nasa is actually taking part in in that disclosure process psyop rings true because um i think they're just trying to control the information they're trying to literally disseminate what they want and keep the real goods to themselves. And and uh, in my opinion, if NASA were to come out and say something like groundbreaking on May 31st, like we're not alone in the universe and 
some of these anomalies point to that. Um, my first question is, what are they, what's their next play? Like why, because they're, NASA is extricably linked to military and intelligence agencies. That's really their purpose. I mean, they even started in 1958 as NACA, which was an Air Force collaboration until they changed to NASA in 1959. Um, and they've always been linked to the Air Force. And the Air Force in this documentary is where that, that word fast walkers comes from. The definition for a fast walker is literally an anomalous object. Um, a slow walker is something that we know will be passing through space very slowly. And those are identified like identified as satellites, right? Drifting through space, but something that are, originates in space, an object that then drops into our atmosphere, you know, ping pongs around earth or stays in space and our earth-based detectors, whether that's satellite systems or, uh, you know, ground radar and, and uh, radio telescope scope tracking data shows these objects ping ponging around space over earth. Those are then considered fast walkers. And we know this basically terminology to be a space-based UFO because of the fact that it's all over Air Force documentation for for basically uh, identifying objects in space. And, um, you know, a fellow researcher who's quite brilliant, who's been doing Freedom of Information Act requests for many years now and trying to get more out of the government on UFOs or UAPs, as they're known now. Um, what His name's John Greenwald. He was, was actually the one that originally was asking NORAD, which is connected to the Air Force. It's the North, North American Air uh, Airspace Defense Command. They basically were the ones that were requested by John Greenwald to give up fast walker documentation and more UFO information. They, they rejected it. But we do see in Air Force documents as well as NORAD documents, which is pretty much one and the same, fast walkers all over it. And so I really wanted to do a documentary that was profiling evidence that fast walkers are plentiful, basically UFOs that are space-based. On that note, because it, you said that you wanted to really do a documentary on this, uh, I I'm, I'm just this is like a ADHD point of the uh, of the conversation. But uh, w at what point did you get involved in this these topics? I mean, so a fast walker was new to me. I I, I was like, oh, I've never heard that before. Uh, what got you involved in the idea of doing films on uh, UFOs? I mean, you cover a lot of these kind of topics, and I was just curious as to kind of what got you into this. Uh, I was always just, you know, a fringe thinker. I, I used to watch, you know, all kinds of sci-fi and stuff growing up. As a family, we would watch X-Files on a Sunday. I wouldn't be able to get to sleep after, and I'd go to school with, like, bags under my eyes on Monday <laughs> morning. Um, but, you know, I, I've been interested in the idea that, 
you know, mankind is not alone. And I studied in university. Um, actually, funny enough, um, I studied this course called uh, Life in the Universe. It's uh, basically Astrobiology 101. And the textbook for that was Seth Shostak's book. And as you noticed in the documentary, I actually have Seth Shostak, who's the head of SETI, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Um, you know, he's been the director of that uh, research group with all that equipment for many, many years now. And um, his job is to look for signals in space from other star systems, uh, maybe emitting from, uh, you know, intelligence like ourselves, intelligent extraterrestrial sources. And um, so that really opened up my mind that this scientifically is a possibility. In fact, in our Milky Way galaxy, the Drake equation says that there has to be at least millions of intelligent civilizations out there that have evolved just like us, right? Um, you know, whether we were genetically modified or not, if you believe that. But um, I've always been interested in this stuff since like I was in my teens. And um, once I started looking into this post that course, I realized, well, there's just tons of evidence that there's been a cover up that we have been visited, uh, military um, agencies and intelligence agencies are covering up these details especially in the United States, but all over the world. In Australia, I traveled there and covered the Westall 66 incident at one point in uh, one of my documentaries, which is also in this series. Um, and, you know, you've got cases in Africa with the Ariel School. You've got cases in Russia. You've got cases in China. You've got cases all over North America, throughout Europe. you got the Rendlesham case, the Bent Waters, uh, you know, base case. So look, um, it's a reality. You've even got in Russia, the, uh, I think it's called the Vrozhnev case where entities landed, got out of a craft. There was a giant being and a little cube shaped being with arms, like a little robot That's wild. and kids were s screaming running away and adults watching this all go down. This was like broad daylight. And, uh, you know, there's so many of these mass witness cases, but of course my attention is always to things like cryptids as well. I did two documentaries on Sasquatch or Bigfoot as it's known in the United States. Um, and, uh, there's a very, very credible history of that as well. Uh, you know, especially going back to, Patterson Gimlin uh, film. And uh, of course, in Canada, since the 1800s, we've had like newspaper documentation of sightings. And uh, we actually captured a being and uh, a doctor named Hanford in Yale, BC, British Columbia, uh, examined the body of this creature, which was like a juvenile. And uh, that was sent off to Europe and kind of lost in history. So, uh, pretty, you know, we live in a strange world. It's just information that that's out there in the mainstream is kind of catching up to fringe thinkers like ourselves. Yeah. And, uh, 
I, I'm too stupid to know when I'm the oddball in a room. So like, I, I've always been just like, yeah, let's talk about it. And and, and people are like, look, probably looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that I was getting those looks, you know? But uh, yeah, pe people, what you just said, I know people are gonna be like, oh, ask them about it. Maybe. I'll just say that because I don't want to veer off topic of what we're here to talk about, but uh, totally getting a body and analyzing it and then getting lost. I'm sure there's a whole story there that we could dive into and maybe we will at the end, but we, I, I know today we're on, we are on a time limit because I do have to pick up my son from school. So how dare you bring up Sasquatch and then make me uh, yeah. leave everybody hanging. <laughs> but, uh, sorry, so, brother. It's all right. So in, in this film though, uh, one of the, I think for me, one of the more intriguing things personally, everybody has their own thing that, you know, tickles them. Right. What, and I can't remember his name and you even brought it up earlier before we started talking, but the guy with the foreign accent that you went and visited him at his home with the antennas, what was his name again? Jimmy Blanchett. Yeah. He lives in uh, Arizona in like the middle of the desert on top of a mountain. Right. So, uh, what I found interesting and you brought up SETI before is that he he brought up how SETI is really into receiving signals. And right. he is doing both. He's sending signals and then receiving responses from those signals. And if I right. understand correctly, he's sending signals to the moon, the sun, other planets. I mean, it seems like, I think at one point he said that he is sending signals. He can, he can send signals to any port, part of the universe or something like that. Is that right? Uh, any part of the solar system. solar system. So essentially what he does is he has like these focused um, radar antenna that he turned into a radio telescope system, a pretty sophisticated one in which um, he's able to create these. He takes a picture, right, that has like words and you know, images of people, kind of like what Carl Sagan put, he put this placard on the Voyager mission when they sent this satellite into deep space. So if an alien or intelligence found it, they would see who made it, mankind, you know, uh, a picture of our solar system, the, you know, uh, human form, some music, that type of stuff. Well, what he does is something similar, but he scans this picture with words like, you know, a message literally and who, you know, a request to make contact and stuff. He puts it through this program that takes that picture and turns it into a sound wave. And the sound wave literally looks exactly like the picture. And then he plays that sound wave through the radar antenna, blasts it into space. And, um, that goes out to target. So he kind of targets known objects, celestial objects in our solar system, and he gets answers. And I think the thing about SETI, which is kind of crazy, um, you know, and I never really thought embarking on this documentary, I'd be kind of dunking on SETI, but like what we're doing with that for decades now is just waiting for a message to naturally come from space. And once we get that message, we have to rule out if it's like a quasar or some kind of like prosaic thing that's emitting that um, radio signal. Because sometimes prosaic objects can do that in, in deep space. And then once we rule that out, we have to figure out, okay, is this message really 
going to come again. And the problem is that, you know, we're looking light years away at stars, which maybe we only get that signal once because a light year is thousands of human years. And when you combine light years, like if something's 20, 40, 50 light years away, we're talking about multiples of thousands of human years. So we might not even exist by the time a second message comes through, right? If we're just naturally waiting and a protocol that SETI follows is to respond to that message, right? And to figure out, you know, should we respond or is it, does, is the message, does it seem kind or, you know, are they interested in taking us over that type of thing? But, um, what Jimmy's doing is he's assuming they're here that if you're an intelligent race that wants to communicate with mankind and you have passed that technological barrier and science in which you need to travel from star to star, um, that you're here. And if you're here, then he can send a message somewhere locally in our solar system and get a response. And so he's been getting the, this strange like radio chatter response when he sends signals into our uh, solar system. And his antennas can blast at like 250,000 watts or more. And to give an idea of how far a radio signal can travel and, and the quality of that, uh, the Chinese had their rover land on the moon, the Chang'e missions not too long ago and radio uh, amateur radio um, guys like ham radio dudes were able to intercept the chang e uh, mission radio messages that were used to operate and send information back and forth from here to the moon uh, and they only used one watt of power so that shows you it's super easy for us to send images into space. And, you know, if you're thinking that maybe we're not alone in, in the universe, I'm sure because we are a noisy society, especially with radio signals, we're emitting crazy amounts of radio signal, signals every day since, you know, the, 19, the 1800s into space through all of our radio communications, you know? And... I'm sure when the nuclear bombs went off when, and we started getting these massive UFO flaps post-World uh, you know, War II in the 1940s, that's when we probably really notified our galactic neighbors, hey, we're here. Um, and that is the theory at least, right? Yeah. So yeah, Jimmy's been doing some pretty interesting stuff and he's still trying to find out what those messages mean that he's been getting back but uh some of those messages kind of defy the laws of physics so he takes these radios which if anybody knows this if you take your cell phone you've got four bars right of signal if you put your cell phone inside of a microwave it's a natural faraday cage which is a term for a completely radio insulated uh radio wave or, or wave insulated um, device. And 
your cell phone will drop from four bars to nothing when you put it inside of a microwave and close it, right? Just don't turn it on. Yeah, that would be... <laughs> actually, record that. I'd love to see what happens. Right. Um, so when you look at what Jimmy's doing, he takes these radios, puts them inside of a microwave, and they're still chattering. They're still getting a signal. Super odd, like breaking the laws of physics. Um, and if he takes another radio that is on the same, the same, um, you know, uh, radio signal, uh, programmed megahertz or whatever, I'm having a, a brain fart, uh, and you tap another radio that's on the same one, the signal will carry over. But unless you touch the two radios, nothing will happen. And the other one won't even chatter like the original one, but they're both on the same radio band. Right next it's to each super, other too. Right next to each other. It's super weird. Like things that shouldn't usually happen. So yeah, he's an interesting case in this doc for sure. Yeah, I, I found it fascinating. What the, the technological stuff you're talking about uh, is, I think, what really was just like, wow, that's amazing. Because if what you were talking about the cell phone in the microwave, if that is how it works, and it and if you're trying to talk to somebody on the radio and you put that radio in the microwave, it's not going to work. To me, it is reasonable to question if even what is getting sent to that radio is actually a radio signal. It, exactly. It, it, it might be something completely different. And whatever that is, it's just using the device of the radio to communicate whatever it's communicating. Yeah. And he's still trying to figure that out. Uh, so weird, weird stuff coming from yeah. space, Tony. Yeah. And that's the whole thing is that this documentary is about, like, we can talk about UFOs terrestrially. We could talk about people shooting video from the ground into the sky, seeing something in our skies. This documentary is what's outside the skies, you know, what, what is in space and what has NASA and these organizations been uh, knowing for, you know, 50 plus years and not talking about until recently. Uh, and and so if I remember correctly, NASA is the one who, ter who coined the term fast walker. Is that right? No, it was actually the Air Force. Okay. The Air Force. Okay. Yeah. So a code word, a code word for an anonymous object. Yeah. Okay, let's take a second and talk about our sponsor today, which is Simply Safe. And listen, friends, I've been with Simply Safe for years. I personally use Simply Safe and have been using them for years. Simply Safe is a great product and it is something that everybody can afford. It is one of those things where sometimes you think, ah, you know what? What are the odds that my place is going to get broken into or we have a fire? Do I really need to have that monthly expense of having a security system? You know, it can be pricey. Simply Safe, not so much. It's very affordable and it's top quality. They have fast protect technology for fast responses. This means that they'll be able to visually verify threats are real through cameras and make sure that you are actually in danger or your home is on fire in danger and they can prioritize 911 dispatch to get police and fire to your house faster. They have this technology available at their fingertips and you at your fingertips can control this system from anywhere in the world. If you're in China and your home is in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, you can control whether you arm or disarm your home by a click of a button using their mobile app, and it's easy to set up. You can have a professional come and set it up for you, 
or you can opt to do it yourself. And I did it myself many times and I can do it. And if I can do it, you can do it too. Customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash confessionals. Go today, claim a free indoor security camera plus 20% off your order with interactive monitoring. That's simplysafe.com slash confessionals. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Uh, you open up the documentary with uh, a scene where astronauts, I believe it was astronauts, uh, saw a red flashing light pulsating on a 10-second interval. Now, mm-hmm. right away, now it's, it's, it's funny because this really made me think, this, this documentary, because uh, go, going into these topics years ago, uh, people would say to me, like, well, I- if you see it, then it's not alien. It's, it's you know... It's it's us, and I used to balk at that and say, "No, it, like we don't possess that kind of technology." And now I find myself sitting here thinking, "Oh, we certainly have incredible technology." I wouldn't say it's impossible. And when you tell me that you're seeing a red flashing light pulsating in ten second intervals, it tells me it's mechanical, at least in my mind. And it, it just for me, I, I I give much more credibility to the idea that. You know, at least some of the things that people are seeing are mm-hmm. top secret man-made things. And you do cover that in this documentary. Yeah, we kind of we leave it open to the idea that some of this might be clandestine top secret technology that we've, you know, been testing in space. And sometimes astronauts who are not read in on that, right, are catching a uh, catching a glimpse of this from space because these Maybe these military objects have that ability of going into space and being in in our actual atmosphere as well. But um, you know, we don't know. There's possibilities that some of these objects might not be terrestrial. And um, you know, I was on another podcast recently. I was talking about how you know. Uh, James Fox is actually in this documentary. He did a really cool doc recently called Moment of Contact on um, the whole Brazilian Vir- Virginia case where these like creatures crashed and uh, were running around this town of Virginia in Brazil. These like little black beings with big red eyes and kind of like fins on their heads, like freaky stuff, right? And the military captured them and this guy got super sick from touching one and died like this is all real you know uh supposedly if somebody's dying from touching an alien that's pretty hard to cover up right yeah but anyways the brazilian government and the air force the united states flew in to apparently take these bodies out so the united states has an active history of being interested in ufos extraterrestrials and traveling to other countries to get the evidence, you know? But, um, so I was talking about how recently James has been doing some, uh, interviews and, uh, he was on Joe Rogan talking about this guy named Chuck Clark, who he met, who has like one of the best UFO videos ever. And this craft was hovering over top of a car in it. Logan Paul apparently has the video. Um, and it's like pulsating red. 
And, you know, you think about this case in 1973, where these three astronauts, Albin being one of them, Luizma being another, you know, are looking out the sort of mess hall window of their space station. It's like way before the ISS. It's 1973. It's one of the first space stations built over Earth. And they're having their lunch. They look out this big mess hall window, a porthole that has a beautiful view of the Earth. And they see this pulsating red UFO that's like a couple, maybe a few miles away from the space station hovering over Earth. And it's kind of tracking them while they're going over Africa. Uh, and following them into darkness and um you don't know you don't know whether that's ours or or theirs because you know th- there's probably a possibility of both but it's highly anomalous uh and um that's what this documentary is all about documenting the highly anomalous things that have happened since 1973 until now in space yeah uh, in, in, in or originating in space like NORAD uh, was t- this was talked about on the, the, the documentary as well. How NORAD has at least two confirmed uh, reports from I think the 1980s. It was said that things coming into our atmosphere from space. Uh, yeah. If they're monitoring that and it was terrestrial, you would think that they would document it leaving and then coming back. That's what my mind went to right away. Totally. I mean, and those cases were the 70s. So, um, what happened was the department of defense actually has their own satellites, you know, they have for many, many years. And in this case of the documentary, we're, we're proving that the DSP system, which is the defense satellite program that was established in the early seventies and lasted till 1991. Okay. And these satellites were basically placed in earth orbit and aimed at earth. And the intention is to track detonations from earth or that are earth-based or things that are in space around earth that could be poses a threat to the United States. It's a defense satellite program. And basically they're, they're spying on Russia, China, foreign adversaries that might be committing a strike against the United States and and using space, whatever. But these same satellite systems have picked up fast walkers. And uh, in the case of the documentary, um, we profile, yeah, two really crazy cases. One where literally a UFO flies into Earth orbit close to the DSP system and just stops on a dime watching earth and then leaps another case 1976 which is recorded on the dsp system but also the exact same day and time that this uh satellite system records this object entering earth's atmosphere we have the infamous tehran ufo incident where f4 fighters tried to shoot down and chase two UFOs that were hovering over Tehran, putting the city through rolling blackouts. Hundreds, thousands of people witnessed this. So this is a mass witness sighting. And 
you know, people are in fear for their lives. They're thinking this is like war of the worlds. What the hell is happening here? And, um, you know, that was recorded on our DSP defense satellite program systems. And that fast walker incident was extremely prevalent, right? So if you think about that, that's like the tip of the iceberg. Richard Dolan in the documentary goes over the fact that the DSP system, which is now defunct, lasted for decades, recorded hundreds of fast walker incidents, like over 300 or something like that. And we're only profiling two that we can really put our finger on, right? Um, imagine what the defense intelligence community actually knows about more fast walker incidents and just UFOs in general, right? They're sitting on a treasure trove of classified information, videos, pictures, uh, you know, all of the radar and uh, communication instrumentation that's picking these up for so long now. Yeah. You know, and with that, I encourage anybody listening to to right now that might have information on that stuff, please contact me. Like the, 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 just put it in perspective, the amount of information they have, the, the pictures, videos, documented occurrences, and people who went through the experiences, like the, 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 what we know, like some of the things you were talking about, I think it was Brazil. And I remember this, this story happening, the guy touching the alien and he dying and stuff like that's amazing. That's an amazing story. They have plenty of those kind of stories that we just don't know about. And that, and that's, that's like mind boggling to me. Cause like years ago, uh, episode 122, it's one of my legendary episodes. I had a guy named Charlie on the show who was in the military and he found himself working in a more specialized unit. He would go out on missions with scientists and they would do different things. Um, and one time he went out to retrieve information. Now he collected data and he went out to retrieve information off a downed aircraft. He had no idea what they were going for. Uh, it was a multi-day journey. Once they arrived on ship, he wouldn't tell me where this was. Uh, but when they get there, he said that w- the environment around them was warm, but the craft was cold to the touch. He said that it was nothing he's ever seen before. When he went inside the craft, his job is to retrieve data, and he's trying to retrieve data off this. He had instruments that would work, but the the um, the uh, the language on this craft was something that he just didn't recognize. And one of the scientists that was with him told him that uh, that he wasn't going to because he was looking through, I guess, a manual or something to try to find this information as to how to figure out what this says. And the scientist told him that you're not going to find what you're looking for in there. And he kind of brushed him off and ignored him. And the scientist doubled down, slammed his hand down the book. And he said, you're not going to find what you're looking for in there. And he said, what do you mean? And he's like, that is uh, Enochian language. And he's like, what's that? He said, it's a demon language. Get your stuff. We're getting out of here. And he did what, I guess he did his job, but they burned it down with thermite. This was a, this is a, a wild story that require, it, it has so much detail in it. I mean, even the journey getting there and back, there was weird things happening, time slips, all this weird stuff, right? Um, and since I've released that interview years ago, I've had so many people come to me in private, some on the show, kind of confirming that they have gone through similar things or just his terminology. Uh, and I'm like, you know what? 
I bet there's a lot of Charlies out there. And if we could get that our hands on that information, I'd have shows every week that are just amazing. Like <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> crash, crash retrieval, you know, like recovery folks that that's one of the treasure that's like the the crown jewel of ufology people that have gone through those types of missions right roswell yeah types of uh missions and charlie old charlie might have been a nokian language that could also mean alien right, right? yeah not from earth yep. so and what is a negative entity you know that's not from earth possibly interpreted as a demon so i i mean and the, there's so many people that um are out there that are looking at ufology and and commenting on it and um you know people ask me well what, do you think um aliens are negative or positive and i i, I kind of say that you know as above so below i i think if we live on a planet where there's a plethora of negative and positives i'm sure out there in the universe that would be reflected as well there must be um some some duality there that there that there must be an existence of negative beings and negative uh intentions coming from outside of our planet that may come here sometimes and i think that's why you do need defense programs and you need intelligence um groups to protect the planet protect humanity protect the countries protect the united states you know i'm not saying that everything that's classified shouldn't be classified i'm saying that as a you know researcher who's been looking into this for many years now i would just like some proof to come out of these classified uh, you know, programs of researching UFOs and documenting the evidence of, of what's been visiting our planet uh, to come out more. You know, I, I want to see that data so that I can scrutinize some more of it and make more documentaries. Yeah. I mean, selfishly speaking here, <laughs> yeah. uh, in the documentary, you were talking or not, you weren't talking about it. You showed um, there was an astronaut and it was kind of pretty quick, but it, it just kind of made my mind, uh, go down the route of what does she know? What did she see? Cause you showed an astronaut where she, upon landing, she's standing at a podium to speak and she faints. And, you know, it's easy to say like, okay, yes, yeah, but she was just in a spacecraft, you know, she's getting adjusted physically, whatever. Um, but knowing the situation behind it, uh, it makes like, it makes you wonder sometimes is whatever she saw so dramatic that she's just like, I'm overwhelmed by this and I can't take the extra pressure of talking to a crowd of people right now in front of them. I mean, what's your take on that whole situation? Yeah. Um, I think that's Stefan Shin Piper astronaut, uh, that was on STS one, one five. And, uh, that space shuttle mission was really weird. Like, not only did that mission yield three different UFO encounters um, that, you know, one of them we really well document, literally you hear the astronauts saying, we're tracking this object. It's going through this window, this window, this window on the shuttle spacecraft. 
and we're still tracking it going over the bay and over the tail of the craft. Um, it looks like three or four objects. It's in a triangular formation. Um, and, uh, we're not quite sure what it is, you know, and, um, basically that happens twice and both times, uh, a male and a female astronaut describe it in this cryptic code way. And they say it's, it's definitely not metallic or, uh, rigid, but looks to be some kind of, uh, cloth like object and it seems like what they're trying to say is this is a metallic object but they hide what they're trying to actually describe it as over a open radio uh channel with keywords and the other words of like the public's listening to throw you off and and say oh it's nothing right definitely not metallic you know anyways two different astronauts describing it in almost like a handbook manual style of this is how you describe a ufo if you're speaking publicly and then um they're trying to re-enter earth earth's atmosphere at the end of that mission and a ufo literally blocks the way okay so not allowing them to re-enter and it was it these parts of missions are critical right if you try to re-enter and you hit that object you break up in the atmosphere and die and um i'm sure that's very you know startling and and uh, a harrowing experience to go through on top of just being in space which is overwhelming and and incredible we kind of in the documentary try to show what it's like being on the space station as an astronaut moving around living and so on and so forth and then uh you know being on the shuttle and i think stefan shin piper that uh astronaut was possibly overwhelmed by this ufo incident and um two things might be at play here and there's people that speculate on this this is pure speculation i don't know but um some people believe that astronauts are either debriefed and hypnotized and and that way they're literally uh, their mind is kind of blanked when it comes to these experiences so they can't talk about them publicly this is something people have been talking about for decades since the apollo and gemini missions kind of like that that style because edgar mitchell was very outspoken about ufos but never talked about anything in space you know other astronauts were very much the same and some of them were vocal about their ufo experiences but it, it seemed at a certain time they started just losing the ability to talk about this right buzz aldrin being one um i think she either was having a conflict internally where she wanted to talk about this and, you know, was overwhelmed and fainted. Uh, maybe it was a hypnosis thing and it was preventing her from, or she just was physically overwhelmed from that whole altercation and being back on earth. And psychologically, she's also just being like, you know, trying to hold back from the public. Cause maybe it's part of the astronauts code not to talk about anomalies in space to the public because literally 
you know, these could startle or distress the public and, um, you know, in their, uh, training, they're meant to keep that stuff and, and not speak about it. It's like a classified issue. Man, I've never heard, I've never even thought about, uh, the idea of the hypnotation route. Uh, that, that's, that's really, that's really fascinating. Uh, no, I, I think she thought this is, Hey, I speculate and I don't care. Like I, I, I'm not, I, I don't, Hey, I'm not in your shoes. I'm not doing documentary research stuff. I just speculate on th- stuff and go wild. I think she was seeing her life flash before her eyes because she was about to witness war of the worlds and she had a front row seat and she just, she couldn't take it. She it's like, she's like, I'm not, supposed, <laughs> I'm done. Hey, great exit, you know? <laughs> okay, I'm going to sleep, guys. Yeah, like, wake me up when the pressure's off and everybody went home. Uh, shoot, man. Well, you mentioned about open channels during that situation, which kind of sparked my thought process again on another thing that you covered, which is open channels in the sense that if you have the proper uh, tools that you can possess, whether it's through a job or legally, you can intercept NASA video footage. And that's that. That was covered. I was I was kind of stunned. By it. I was like, this guy. He I think he, you said he worked at a, a TV station, and he started recording NASA feed. Or I, I don't remember how it all worked, but like he was getting all this stuff, and I, it just kind of made me feel like. And between him and uh, again, I forget his name, but the guy with the antennas in Arizona, like you, you can do stuff yourself that it could be groundbreaking if you have the longevity to do it because it takes time. Uh, and patience and understanding, but uh, it, it really kind of that was in the beginning, and then he the the antennas were towards the end, and throughout the film, it kind of gives you this feel that hey, you can do stuff too if you want because it's not that hard. Yeah, exactly. It's like citizen journalism, citizen researchers. It, it's it's empowering to think that uh, we can actually have an effect on documenting or uh, pulling real-time uh otherworldly sort of encounters out of uh space yeah. and with the case that the individual that you're talking about his name is uh, martin Stubbs. he's actually a canadian like myself and uh i tried contacting him for six years and I finally got him on the phone. I was sending emails to him saying, Hey man, like, I really love your research. I, I can't believe what you did. It's so cool. He actually have a, has a YouTube channel just called Martin Stubb, Stubbs, M-A-R-T-Y-N, and then Stubbs, S-T-U-B-B-S. People go check it out, it out. And it's all of the footage that he accumulated from NASA space missions during the shuttle era, the STS missions, where um, NASA was beaming a live downlink video footage and, and audio to their Capcom, their Houston you know, communications center with the astronauts. And Martin at the time, working as a, uh, a TV station manager, basically, like managing all the programmed shows that were going out throughout Canada um, on this TV network uh, 
had an interest in UFOs. He says that he was part of MUFON, right? And MUFONs in the United States and in Canada, they're a research agency, civilian, that documents UFO incidents and stuff around North America. And um, he brought this to them. They actually weren't interested, but he's like, I've been intercepting the NASA downlink, that video footage and, and audio recordings from the astronauts talking and recording uh, stuff in space onto my radio station's VCR tape system, basically, which was beta cams at that time. And I've been finding really strange footage of, you know, what could be described as UFOs in space, like things moving around and interacting either with astronauts on spacewalks or, um, you know, shooting around the ISS or, um, you know, entering the Earth's atmosphere or slowing down and stopping over the Earth's atmosphere and um, sometimes reversing into opposite directions on a right angle turn, like things that don't look prosaic, like asteroids um, or comets, you know, uh, or space debris and ice. And I think the the thing that debunkers or NASA former employees like Jim Oberg, he'll haunt your comments probably, seems to stalk me everywhere I go when I speak about this stuff. Um, he famously was saying that a lot of these videos are just prosaic objects. They are space ice or debris, right? Which we do have plenty of that in space. He's not wrong about that. But what he is wrong about is space ice doing right angle turns, stopping on a dime, uh, interacting with astronauts. Like, not everything's space ice, Jim. And that's what I'm trying to document here. So, um, Essentially, yes. I mean, you see that in the footage that Martin Stubbs collected, and I got him on the phone, talked about you know how he started his journey with that. You hear a little bit of that in the documentary, but I've got like three hours of conversations I've recorded with him. He's a really brilliant man, and you know, again, one of these people that just kind of said, "I've got access to this technology. I'm a smart guy." Why don't I try something out and see if I get some kind of new information that you don't usually see in the public? Jimmy Blanchett does that. Martin Stubbs does that. You know, there's so many people that have been doing this uh, in ufology and, and throughout history. You know, Nikola Tesla, to yeah. name an, uh, a, a really prominent person who was trying to work on wireless energy systems, uh, which were still not using today to a great extent right it's maybe charging our phones or something so it's unbelievable it's unbelievable uh the technology that we could have that they they don't allow us to have uh it, it's what's interesting is that i remember i think it was martin he yeah it definitely was martin because he, he was stunned that he was the only one in the world doing this like he's like uh it, it's not rocket science and then and then the, after martin you feature a guy who like has a broke back and he has to lay down to watch TV and he's intercepting video. And, and you go into a segment of this talking about the technology that they're using with the videos uh, and, and the video cameras that they're installed and, and how this is stuff that comes directly from NASA. There is no tampering with this stuff. So it is what it is. Um, 
it's just it's just really fascinating. the 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 topic is fascinating. The, these things. Uh, if, shoot, if somebody could get their hands on a NASA camera, maybe we'd finally be able to film Bigfoot. You know. So, uh, but let, let me just uh, bring. Imagine that. <laughs> that'd be amazing. Um, mission accepted. I'm gonna try now. Uh, but. To kind of, uh, I'm going to just throw a little bit of curveball to, to wind this down here. Uh, we got about five minutes and uh, I I have this thought and it kind of blends everything in a sense. So I firmly believe that there are things that we're capturing on video, pictures, people's experiences that are 100% top secret terrestrial. Uh, I also believe that there are, uh, for just general purposes to say, extraterrestrial. Uh, and there's a lot of things, like I could probably spend another hour with you talking about this. Uh, how is it's even possible? Like we kind of talked about a little bit, the radio signals and the light years and how it's it's in, it, it's unfathomable. I think I stuttered on that word. Uh, how how um, How far of a distance this is. And when you start talking about you know, thousands of human years, one light year kind of thing. It's just like, it kind of puts it in perspective. And it's like, okay, so if that's true, then how is it possible that these things are traveling like this? Well, I, I, I've been looking at wormholes recently. And I'm not a scientist, I'm not a quantum physicist or anything like that. But I've also been really big on the portal talk recently as well. And what, what if... What if wormholes are portals to other realms, uh, if you want to say universes, and these beings are using wormholes to get here? Like, I, I don't know if there's a documented situation where we've ever sent anything into a wormhole to get anything back. And you're shaking your head no. Uh, but what are your thoughts on the idea of wormholes being used as a way to transport themselves here? Because at the end of the documentary, you guys did venture into the idea of um, I, I even made a note here. Uh, if these things, uh, these things being threatening, and, and and are they threatening? Um, if they're if, if they're threatening, I, I'm like, how is it that we don't? I'm having a hard time putting this into to words. But if these things came so far, they took so long to get here, and we're just and and we're just now getting systems up in place to detect them. And possibly communicate with them. It shows me that they're far superior technology-wise. And if they're threatening, why would they have not made that glaringly obvious now? Unless there's another reason. And I just I just threw a bunch of different things out there. But let's go back to wormholes. What are your thoughts on it, real quick? <laughs> sure. I think um, I think wormholes theoretically, you know, through mainstream science, they are a thing, and scientists have you know, ventured mathematically, whether they could be used as a transportation method throughout space. And the working theory is yes, they could be. Okay. So that's that answer. The other thing is, are there negative entities that are trying to get into our planet and do things? I mean, you look at the history of the UFO subject and you hear about abductions abductions don't sound like a pleasant experience. No. You know, this is something where people are taken from their homes or taken from their cars or whatever. Um, that's an intrusion, you know, that is, uh, a exploitation. And I, I think that's can be considered a negative experience. So 
Um, you also hear about military uh, systems being shut down, nuclear systems being disabled and stuff. And you don't necessarily send that message to somebody unless you're trying to send a somewhat negative message to them. Like, hey, guys, we're in control here. You know what I mean? So if there's posturing like that, and there's also uh, these other incidents where people have had negative experiences, civilians, military personnel with this phenomenon, uh, health effects, like people getting sick from being exposed to UFOs up close and personal, that's negative. So I think there is some danger to this uh, phenomenon. There are some people that believe they're all positive and you can pray to them and they'll come to you and stuff and whatever, you know, everybody's allowed to have their own opinion. I I don't want to argue about that. I just have my own opinion. Um, What are visiting us? I guess you could say off the bat back of that. And that would be a whole range of things. You know, theoretically, scientifically, we could be visited by crypto terrestrials, which are beings that exist on our plane, but in a different area of the world or in space that have been here since the beginning, that are technically advanced earthlings. Um, We could be visited by multi dimensional beings, like beings that are just so evolved and so, you know, far advanced in terms of technology that they're phasing into our dimension and then taken off. Uh, and then, you know, we could be visited by just ETs, extraterrestrials from another solar system, another, um, you know, place in the galaxy or what have you. And so, uh, another planet and, and that's, that's the working theory. And I guess my camera going out says, all right, we're wrapping it up, boys. <laughs> uh, my camera's been doing that recently. I don't know why. But um, Darcy, before we get out of here, uh, let the people know where they can get this film. Uh, I know we said Amazon before. I know there's other places, though, as well. Totally. Thanks for having me on, Tony. Um, amazing opportunity just to catch up. It's been a while. Love your work. And uh, people can check me out on, um, you know, I have Instagram, Darcy Weir Films, Occult Journeys on Twitter, uh, my YouTube channel, Occult Journeys, as well as um, Facebook, just Darcy Weir. So, um, and my website, occultjourneys.com. People can check out some of my other films. I've published uh, 15 over 15 feature length films at this point, but 15 are available online and most of them are available on Amazon, iTunes, Apple TV, Google play, uh, and Tubi TV. Actually, you can watch a lot of them for free. So I sent you a link for the latest film. Uh, if people want to check it out, um, you know, leave a review, a star rating, whatever, uh, go with your heart on this one, but I just got to say thanks so much for taking part in it, lending your voice to the creativity of this story. Um, dude, you cracked me up so much when you did some bloopers and in process uh, creation of that <laughs> script on Instagram where you're going like, Ooh, Ooh, beep, beep. Yeah. <laughs> dude, that friggin' script was hard and you killed it. You knocked it out of the park. 
so many scientific terms and weird geeky things to say about NASA space missions and you did it. So thank you, brother. Really appreciate you and uh, stay good. Enjoy your family and uh, keep, keep building up the homestead. Oh yeah. The homestead is definitely gonna get built up. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy the conversation, please go ahead and check out the film on Amazon. Like we said, the links are in the description of this episode. It is available on other platforms as well. But if you are an Amazon user, like most people are, go ahead and check it out there. That would be a great help for Darcy and his endeavors. But friends, I enjoyed the conversation. I hope you did too. Until next Tuesday, stay safe, take care, and remember, the truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. Bye. Like a cell, they wanna spin up, but the center of the nexus, man. Yeah.